Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 11.0, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 99.1, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. And the opening bell brought to you by SCI. Imagine a global operating platform designed to deliver a differentiated and technologically rich investor experience. Find out how SCI can help you succeed at SCIC.com slash imagine. Stocks lower at the open. The S&P 500 down a tenth of a percent or two points to 2047. Dow Jones Industrial Average down a tenth of a percent or 22 points to 17,560. NASDAQ's down two tenths per Center eight points to 48.13. Ten-year Treasury up 4.30 seconds. The yield 1.92 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.1 percent or 88 cents to $40.57 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2.2 percent or $27.90 to 12.2060 an ounce. The euro a dollar 11.88 and the yen 112.78. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Tom Keen and Michael McKee, and uh, to continue with perspective follow-up in the view forward off of what we heard from James Bullard of St. Louis. We're thrilled to bring you uh, out of Michigan, uh, David Burson, uh, David Burson of Nationwide. Uh, Dr. Burson, good morning. Good morning. Out of Michigan and, and in Ohio. And in Ohio, I might point out. It's just the, the, the pedigrees are important. We had uh, Jim Bullard of Indiana and now you with uh, uh, Michigan. I, I want to draw forward one of the thoughts he talked about, which is the concern is moving too fast. And I didn't get to the question with President Bullard about the word, the strange word measured, and the idea of a measured pace. This is, of course, associated with Chairman Greenspan. Did we cause harm by desperately wanting the predictability of a gradualism? I'm not sure that the predictability was the problem. I'm not sure the gradualism was the problem. I think that the, the lateness of the start was the problem. And and I have a concern that starting too late this time could be a problem, but, but gradualism itself is not the problem. Because you get back to the hope and prayer of a Fed, if they fall behind, jumps. And there's that strange phrase, jump condition. Have we had any recent experience of a Fed that fell behind and had to jump quickly? Well, I think you could make uh, an argument that in the last business cycle, um, the one before the Great Recession, that the Fed tightened too late, that, that the Fed kept interest rates at what were then rock-bottom levels for, for too long, and that meant that the Fed had to tighten too much and, 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 and too quickly at the end, and you know, it, it, it was the, the proximate cause of the Great Recession. Many other things made the Great Recession much worse. Certainly mm-hmm. the mortgage market did. But but I think that the Fed having to tighten too much at the end was what tipped the economy right. into recession. David Burson with us. He is with Nationwide, uh, and we love to have him on with really a pulse of the nation. We, we've, we have not talked about housing enough. We've been remiss on that, David. Give us an update. It's a smaller housing market is part of our economy, isn't it? Well, certainly home sales and housing starts are are less of the economy now than they were in the last expansion. But you can certainly make the case that housing was too big in the economy, too too important in the economy, 
before the Great Recession. You know, lots of people buying lots of homes mm-hmm. uh, where they couldn't really afford them. I think now we're seeing a more sustainable rise in the housing market. And, you know, while, while housing goes up month to month, it's affected by a lot of things, including weather. The trend is clearly upward, and I think that we will continue to see the trend upward, but at a more sustainable pace for housing. It's unlikely that it's going to be housing that brings this expansion to an end. What does Nationwide know about the availability of credit? It's not our number one mail, but it's number three or number four, which is when people say it's a normal housing market, our listeners go nuts. Well, it, the credit availability is tighter mm-hmm. than it has been in the past. You know, again, clearly before the Great Recession, it was way too easy. We're not saying that we ought to go back to that. But credit availability is 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 tighter now. Credit is tighter now. It is less available than it was. And I think that's, along with just fewer homes on the market, that is one of the key reasons why housing is growing more slowly this time. If credit were more easily available, we'd see more home sales. You know, it, it's hard to know when credit is exactly right. And I guess if you had a choice between credit being a little too tight and a little too easy, right. we're probably better off with it being a little too tight. But we'd probably rather have it be exactly right. Now, David Burson with us. We'll continue this discussion and focus on the housing market and, of course, other aspects of Consumption America. Uh, David Burson is chief economist with uh, Nationwide. To give you a data check here before we get to our look at the equity markets, negative 35 on the Dow, S&P down four points. VIX higher, as you would expect, 0.36 points, 14.53 I'm going to attribute some of that to James Bullard's comments, maybe some dissension with the uh, dot plots in the Fed. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of a nudge there. I went and looked at the two-year yield, which hasn't moved all that much, but there's a, just a general weight to the tape. And I, what I will say is I don't want to associate any market dynamics to Brussels. Uh, we looked at that carefully. Certainly we saw that with Sterling as a follow-on to Brexit debate. Sterling weaker further today, 141.44. Let me get up here quickly the um, Sterling uh, chart before we go to David uh, Wilson. The low for the day in Sterling, well, it just spiked down. I stand corrected. Uh, the low of 141.25. So still Sterling weakness maybe is the other market news here. Uh, over the last 48 hours on the equity markets with a list of winners, losers, dogs of the Dow, David Wilson. Is there a dog of the Dow today? Uh, Nike would be your dog of the Dow okay. if you're looking at stock performance because the shares at the moment are down 4%. The world's largest sporting goods maker expects fiscal year earnings and sales to grow more slowly than analysts do based on the average estimates in the Bloomberg survey. Nike's outlook reflects growing competition from Under Armour and a stronger dollar. Uh, another stock taking a hit, Gilead Sciences, down about 2%. The drug maker may have to pay as much as $2 billion in damages, plus royalties on its biggest sellers, the hepatitis C treatment Savaldi and Harvoni. A California jury, uh, jury yesterday ruled against Gilead in a patent dispute brought by Merck and Ionis Pharmaceuticals. Merck shares up half a percent at the moment, Ionis with a 6% gain. General Mills down half a percent. The food maker's fiscal third quarter sales were at the low end of analyst projections. Revenue was hurt by a 5% drop in sales volume. Gold mining stocks are lower after the precious metals price dropped by more than $20 an ounce in New York trading. Barrick Gold down uh, more than 5%. The, the stock cut the hole from by Deutsche Bank and Newmont Mining with a loss of almost 5%. Yeah, I, back to Nike. I thought, David, in the time we've got left, 
3M is 6.4% of the Dow? I, I did not know that. You have to remember that the Dow is what they call a price-weighted index. So basically it comes down to what the share price Lloyd is. Blank, Mark- Lloyd Blankfein is 6% of the Dow? I, I did not know that. There you go. It's all about, you know, the higher the share price, uh, the higher the weighting in the Dow, as opposed to the Standard Poor's 500, which is a market value weighted index. So uh, it takes things into account, like the size of the company. 20% of the Dow is four stocks because of this massive skew. Not unusual. This is why pros like you use SPX, even though we always quote the Dow like we know what we're talking about. One more stop, quickly. All right. I'll give you two quickies. Two, quick. And that would be uh, Centene and HealthNet, which yes, are both please. up about 3.5%. The uh, health insurers re- received clearance from California regular- regulators for their uh, $5 billion deal. They expect to complete it in the next few days. California America's HealthNet is based in the Los Angeles suburb of Woodland Hills. David Wilson, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Always inter- I, every time, I swear, David Wilson comes in, he parachutes down from the top of the building into our courtyard and atrium, comes up here with his parachute. I always learn something with David Wilson. The Dow, uh, negative 44 points. And he is 939 on Wall Street. This hour's surveillance being brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlains.com. News from around the world. Here's Michael Barr. John, Tom, thank you very much. Today, Belgium held a moment of silence, and the country will have three days of national mourning after yesterday's terror attacks in Belgium killed 34 people and wounded about 200 others. Officials say Brussels' main airport will remain closed until at least tomorrow night. Two blasts went off at the international airport and another at a subway station. Belgian police continue to search for a man seen in a photo from airport surveillance, walking with two men believed to be the suicide bombers. Prosecutor Frederick von Liu, through a translator, says following police raids, a suspect has been arrested, but not the third man believed to be on surveillance video at the airport. A fourth search had been carried out in Scarbeck last night. One person had been arrested, and it's uh, undergoing inf- interrogations by the prosecutor. Former rival Jeb Bush says he's endorsing Ted Cruz for president. Yesterday, Cruz won the Utah Republican caucuses. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton won in Arizona. Clinton's Democratic rival Bernie Sanders won in Utah and Idaho. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom? And Michael, thank you so much. Folks, we all have out our complete James Bullard interview across all of our surveillance social. It was a most nuanced, interesting conversation with the president of the St. Louis Fed from New York City, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance being brought to you by Untucket. Think your shirt is too long to wear untucked? It probably is. Untucket has solved this, making shirts designed to be worn untucked. Visit untucket.com. Use the code WBBR for 15% off. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA. 
Net. Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Buller has said he is getting increasingly concerned about giving forward guidance through projections of how fast interest rates will rise, also referred to as the dot plot. I've uh, started to wonder about the efficacy of the dot plot on the policy rate part because we're, you know, implicitly giving some kind of forward guidance through that dot plot, and I'm wondering whether that's uh, counterproductive at this point. And Bullard made the comments in an interview with Tom Keen and Michael McKee, heard on Bloomberg Radio and television. Bullard also said a decline in joblessness below the natural rate may force policymakers to raise rates faster in the future. U.S. stocks are lower along with crude prices as investors await more data for clues on the economy and direction of monetary policy. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down a quarter percent or five points to 2044. Dow Jones Industrial Average down a quarter percent or 41 points to 17. 17,540. The Nasdaq's down a third of a percent or 16 points to 48.04. The 10 year Treasury up 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.92 percent. Yield on the two year 0.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.9 percent or 76 cents to $40.69 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2.4 percent or $30.50 to 12.18.10 an ounce. The euro $1.1189. The yen 112.76. And that's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. Uh, we surprised with David Burson of Nationwide. David, I don't want to catch you unawares. I'm going to do a little bit of the background here, but I'm sure you're more than capable of uh, diving in. James Bullard has been making a lot of Irving Fisher. 1867, two years after the end of the Civil War, he lived a wonderful life to 1947. He was hugely visible to put things in perspective, a name that all of you know, Joseph Schumpeter, we talk about creative destruction. Schumpeter of Harvard called Fisher, quote, the greatest economist the United States has ever produced. That was, of course, of a, a, a different generation. When you have James Tobin of Yale and Milton Friedman of Chicago agree, that shows you the impact of Irving Fisher. So, Dr. Burson, we have James Bullard talking about a neo-Fisherian moment, which is thinking about the dynamics of real GDP and the dynamics of inflation, which gets you out to nominal GDP. What do you make of the permazone of a zero bound, the artificiality we live in, and what it means within a neo-Fisherian moment? You know, I think that what what matters most here is Fisher's discussion of, of debt deflation. Um, that uh, when you have lots of debt, as, as we did during the Great Recession, um, that having to sell assets at uh, distressed prices uh, causes deflation overall in the economy, and that makes it very difficult for uh, central banks to have uh, a monetary policy that works because we saw this during the, the Great Depression. When uh, inflation is negative, then real rates are positive. And, and, and you want to have nominal, you want to have real interest rates negative to try to boost, uh, to boost uh, borrowing and saving. And, and, you know, we haven't seen that. You know, we see hoarding of money. Um, you know, we see nominal interest rates going down, but you know, real interest rates are are, are still positive in a lot of the world. And uh, I think Fisher has a lot to say right. about this. Fisher is, and this is, folks, a very general statement. Fisher 
enjoyed simplistic models where his colleague in crime, Newt Vixel, you'll hear John Riding, um, Steve Leisman over at CNBC has done great work on this, on Vixelian economics. Fisher was simple models. Vixel was much more complex analysis of how we get from point A to point B. And in doing that, David, is simple better or do we need to maintain the complexity that we see years ago from Newt Vixel or others now? Which is better? You know, neither is inherently better. What we need is is a theory that actually explains what's going on. And ultimately, you have to be able to, to explain it to people. If, if they don't understand what you're saying, even if the theory is correct, um, you're, you're, you're not going to be listened yeah. to. So, so simpler explanations, even if complex theories, and you know, what Fisher was talking about were very complex things. He just expressed them in a simple way. Uh, certainly for policymakers, is a much better way to go. Then the mystery is then, and this, folks, is grandparents' and great-grandparents' time, it was the idea of the search and the frustration over economic growth. It's really no different today, is it, David? It's, I mean, I mean, I mean, as Jeff Immelt has told me, 3.2% GDP solves a lot of problems. I think that's exactly right. Um, the, you know, growth over the last, you know, almost 10 years of, or eight years anyway, the expansion of, um, you know, 2% growth just isn't enough. Uh, we need to be able to get growth back up to three to three and a half percent. That is the single best thing to increase the wages of the average worker in the U.S. and, and around the world, as well as the, the single best way to reduce income inequality. It's hard to reduce mm-hmm. income inequality if you're not growing. Right. Then all you're doing is simply shuffling the, the deck shares. You need to float the boat. Yeah, it would be permanently wrong of me, unfortunately, to quote, and, and James Bullard alluded to this today, folks, where he said he was worried about shocks to the system and two rapid market adjustments as the Fed adapts, perhaps with the dots to where the market is. But uh, Mr. Fisher, of course, with the acclaimed uh, three days before the crash, stock prices have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. We all have our skeletons in our closet, as does Irving uh, Fisher. Do you worry, David Burson, about market adjustments and does that lead us to a cautious, measured approach? Well, I think we have seen significant financial market volatility, you know, certainly over the last year. And I think that has led to more cautious policy moves on the part of yeah. a central bank, certainly our central bank, where, you know, core inflation is edging up. I think there's no question about that. But because of financial market volatility and concerns about fragility, the, the Fed has been more cautious than probably okay. it should be. This is critical, and this is what Nationwide does so well. The idea of inflation is up. And part of that are what we'll call core everyday inflation expenses, such as housing. Impute that in, whether it's imputed rent, imputed housing, impute this, impute that. David Burson, is the character of this new surge in inflation different than others we've seen? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I'd call it a surge at this point. I know. No, I knew you were going to get me on that. The moment <laughs> I used the word, I said, Burson's going to put me in the nationwide timeout chair. <laughs> Um, is it different? Um, it is different in the sense that uh, goods inflation, particularly commodity inflation, is, is very, very weak, if, if existent at all, because of weak growth around the world. The inflation we're seeing today is services-based, and 
you know, that is somewhat different. But on the other hand, the U.S. economy is more and more a services-based economy, and so the inflation is no less real by it being uh, services-based. Where's the consumer? This is the other debate, David, that I think you've got a different pulse on being out in Ohio. I mean, the basic idea of, of where, whether the consumer, we get different opinions. I think the consumer is doing okay. I think, uh, you know, certainly at the high end with stock market doing well, consumption at, at upper end things is doing very well. But I think as, as we continue to see job growth be solid, income gains grow modestly, uh, we're going to see spending increase on the part of consumers uh, over this year. And I think by the end of this year, we're going to look back and say, you know, the consumer was, was pretty good this year. David, thank you so much, particularly for that clinic on Fisherian, neo-Fisherian theory. Not every day you get a guy that comes on that can do that. Just just pop right in and talk about Fisher from the 20s. and uh, Yeah, from the 20s. That would be the decade. Uh, David Burson is with Nationwide. He is their chief economist. John Tucker, did your eyes glaze over there? Neo-Fisherian? Neo-Fisherian. It's not Stanley <laughs> Fisher. That? No, I did not. know. it's been out this there for This was the years. Fisher before Stanley Fisher. Okay. But and I, I must admit, I got a couple uh, of tweets that said, hey, we should have talked a lot more about Neo Fisherian, but within the time frame that we had, it was a little squeezed. People that are expert on Neo Fisherian dynamics. Yeah, okay. It would be the real GDP <laughs> and the inflation dynamic. David Gura is an expert on Neo Fisherian economics. He wanders in here to get us forward into the next hour of Bloomberg Radio. Please get us out world, of this mess, worldwide. David. The only thing Neo Fisherian is David Kotak and Trout. Okay. That's, that's what he's looking for as well. Anyways, that was great, folks. Um, I urge you to look out on our various social media and at iTunes, the podcast I hope will be out here in a bit, the complete interview with James uh, Bullard. I think it was a, a different way to speak to our public policy interviews. Maybe that'd be a good idea. Instead of a press conference, John Tucker, Janet Yellen could just have a conversation with Mike McKee and Tom Keene. We bring in somebody from the outside <laughs> Binion and Applebaum from the New York Times, somebody like that to help us out. But just, you know, a conversation with Janet. And then nobody would the understand table. monetary policy. We could talk to her about neo-Yalian policy as well. Anyways, it's fun. We hope you enjoy the economics we do. We try to keep it in the King's English as best as we can. And, of course, looking at finance, investment in international uh, relations as well. So a lot uh, going on here. Let me see the latest headlines from Belgium. We'll have these for you uh, through the day. There is a new police operation in the Alderlecht area of Brussels. That according to the Associated Press. Stay with us through the day. Our newscast from Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.